The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And now, here's your hosts... John and Steven. Thank you, this is Cabinated Comics, and I'm your host, John Clark. With me is mainly always the Chicago's King of Geeks, Elliot Serrano. How are you, Elliot? <coughs> Seriously. <coughs> Sorry. Is that how you're opening? Was were you was that planned? I tried no, it was not planned. Because there's no way it's being edited out. Oh, okay. Well, I was gonna say I'm here, I'm queer, get used to it, but I'm not really queer, so... But I am here. No, you're here, you're COVID-ridden, it sounds like. <laughs> I, I just thought this was the reaction uh, having over the weekend, where we both watched The Flash. <laughs> you know, I was going to tell you something. You really... You, our friendship was really tested this past weekend. I did apologize. Yes. <laughs> Because not, I, not only did you go, oh, Flash is on, you got to watch it so we can talk about it. You also told me about Spider-Man Lotus. Spider-Man Lotus, yes, which I got two-thirds in and just apologized to you, which gave you an out where you were like, I'm not watching yeah, it, but, well, but I, you did. No, I, I, I powered through. I powered through because I kept waiting for something to happen, but we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Well, those two things. On the plus side... Uh, um. Well, there's on the plus side and the minus side. The plus side, my greatest thing in the world would have been Blue Beetle because I did see it yesterday. AMC had their $4 sale. So we went. It's actually really entertaining, very solid. Uh, Doesn't get tripped up in the DC universe, tells the story it's meant to tell. Uh, I'm not the biggest Blue Beetle fan. I'm not the biggest Jaime Reyes Blue Beetle fan. I did like Ted Kord, but Blue Beetle has always been kind of a mishmash of several heroes. So there's nothing too original. You know, the original Blue Beetle was, you know, basically Spider-Man and Batman mixed together. I mean, Steve uh, Ditko created him, right? The Steve Ditko created the Silver Age. There is a Golden Age Blue Beetle, and I know almost nothing about him except that he looks like the Phantom. And then in 2008, when uh, Dan DiDio wanted diversity through the DC Universe, uh, they created Jaime Reyes. They also created, um, they also rebooted the Atom as Asian. There was like a lot of the secondary characters were getting new. Firestormers African American. They were getting new secret identities. And Jaime Reyes stuck. It's a he has a fantastic design, I will say. But you know, the story is a little bit of Green Lantern, it's a little bit of Venom, it's a little bit of Iron Man, it's a little bit of Spider-Man. And the movie's the same thing. The movie, you know, the movie liberally borrows from other more established heroes to create this narrative. So it's true to the comic. But uh, it does nothing wrong. It moves pretty briskly. It's got two hours, you know. It reminded me of the first Iron Man, which which I was reminded Iron Man was a mid-budget film. So, uh, so it once again confused me about the DC <laughs> the DC universe <laughs> because I think they were trying to give James Gunn credit for Blue Beetle, but I think only because. They didn't want they didn't want to be swept under the carpet with the Snyderverse version of a DC universe. But I don't think James Gunn had anything to do with this. This um this was a bright spot in the way that Shazam was a bright spot. 
you know, uh, not a big budget, kind of fun. Let's just take this character, do him the way, do him the way he was appealing, which was goofy and charming, and do it. And I also liked it was very Latino focused. I saw it in uh, a Latino heavy audience, and there were a lot of jokes that were getting big laughs that I didn't know were jokes. So it was very true to to that community. Um, so you might like it more than I did. I don't know. I, I mind you, uh, my friend Victor Aragon of fandads.com did a review of it. And he did mention how much there, how much focus there was on Latino culture. And also there are some friends of mine. Uh, I know when I was um, checking in with our uh, good friend, Tom Feaster, mm-hmm. talked about Blue Beetle. He made the same comment that you did that there were some jokes in there that just went over his head, but he knew that, you know, there were Hispanic families that to them, it was very um, resonant, resonated for them. Yeah. To which, to which I say, that's great. At the, it at, is. It... At the same time though, I would like to think that Latino culture isn't so insular that only we get the jokes. I mean, you know, you, well, you they know. were little, they were, there were a lot of little observational family style slice yeah. of life jokes. Um, there was a lot of Spanish in it as well. Uh, uh, but I appreciate it in the way that I appreciated something like Shang-Chi or Ms. Marvel. Right. Of like, this is a culture that I am not a part of, that I've only seen at arm's length. And this movie goes deep within that culture. And it was great. And, and of course, uh, you know, DC sets me up and knocks me down <laughs> because all I kept thinking was, was how much better this was than the flash, mm. which was the one they pushed blue beetle. They dropped out and it's blue beetle has an 87 on rotten tomatoes right now. Well, looking at, at it purely from a marketing standpoint. And again, hindsight is 2020. All right. But you had Michael Keaton, reprising the 89 Batman. They had all that marketing push behind it. You had, of course, uh, you, you had what was supposed to be the, the kind of the crowning bit of the Snyderverse before James Gunn comes in. You, you sank all this money into this movie, which in retrospect, man, I don't know where that money went. I didn't... Well, I feel like it went to all the wrong places because it was... Um, the ugliest CG babies I have ever seen on screen. <laughs> but, but I gotta admit, the best dad joke. I will admit, there were like two or three laugh out loud moments in this movie. And that first one was when, when Barry Allen goes, it's a baby shower. <laughs> it was so bad. I was, I was laughing. Yeah, but they followed, they followed that up with the, most expensive set piece I've ever seen of a guy running around naked. Yeah, that like too. like the the neighborhood is blowing up, buildings are falling down, and I, and I just looked at this and went, they spent their money in the wrong places because oh, yeah. that should have been a quick joke, mm-hmm. just in the middle of an intersection. You didn't need everything exploding, and you could have taken that money and made those babies not freak me out. <laughs> they were freaky looking babies. Or, or they also, spoilers, could have made Christopher Reeve not freak me out. There was so much talk. I mean, and again, we can say spoilers, but I think the, this movie has been discussed ad nauseum and everyone knows. It was spoiled for me before I yeah. saw it. 
Right. Because it, obviously it's finished its theatrical run from a couple of months ago. Yeah, we're talking about seeing this on Max, which is what I think now, if I look at social media, I see all these folks are saying, oh, it's not as bad as you guys were saying it was. I even had one person go, oh, I wish I didn't let all the negative reviewers keep me from seeing it in a theater, which, okay, you know, if that's how you want to spend your money. That's well, that's you well, that's you, because num- number one, you're a person that enjoyed that film. Number two, you're also a person that was dissuaded. Yeah, exactly. If you wanted to see that film, go and see go that and film. See. What, what were we saying about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? It was getting review bombed out there. Do you out there? Yep. You still see um, uh, angry fan fan bros out there talking about what a terrible movie it was. Like, uh, we did not see the same same film, guys. No, I nor mean, did we see the same film twice because exactly. we both went back. We both went. I went back. I wanted uh, when I heard there was a four dollar Tuesday AMC. I was like a four dollar weekend at AMC. I was like, I want to go back and see uh, the Dial of Destiny. That's uh, AMC by me wasn't even showing it anymore. So there went my, my yeah. That's out. Did you go see anything yesterday? No, I didn't see. It. Oh, oh, I, I stayed in and I watched. Spider-Man Lotus and freaking the Flash. <laughs> See, had you gone to Blue Beetle the way I did, you'd be in a slightly better mode. Slightly. Because you'd be oh. like, ah, that was pretty good. <laughs> and that's what it deserves. It deserves that was pretty good in the way Shazam deserved it. That was pretty good. And let's be honest. It's not like Blue Beetle's like a huge selling comic to begin with. No, well, Blue Beetle was this was supposed to be a Max movie. This yeah, was supposed to be right. direct to streaming. So it what you know, they didn't I, do I a lot of push with it. Yeah. Yeah. Before it got shelled. But this one was was good enough that they released it. Right. So uh for when folks go, oh Blue Beetle underperformed or well, although I do love how the headline was Blue Beetle beats Barbie at at the for the weekend. I mean it made like a million dollars more than Barbie. It was number one for, it was number one its opening weekend, but they were yeah. like it only made twenty seven million. Yeah, something it like looked that. like it cost thirty five. Right. And and it it was back again to that whole how are we going to frame this in the media? How are we gonna frame, you know, how are our entertainment reporters gonna write their headlines to generate some clicks so at this point talking about the unstoppable barbie machine is you know now it's like who's gonna beat barbie who's gonna beat barbie blah 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 i mean if you technically you could say that oppenheimer is finally beating barbie because it's it's made it's doing pretty well it's got legs to it yeah thanks to barbenheimer yeah and add to that now what are they what are they saying there there's um there's a there's a Paw Patrol and Saw coming out like the same weekend. Oh, I saw the trailer <laughs> for Paw Patrol. Saw Patrol. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the exact demographics of Blue Beetle, but they showed us a trailer for Paw Patrol and The Nun. See, I, I kind of can see that. Yeah, because uh, Hispanic families are big into that type of. Um, oh, uh, that religious horror. horror. Religious, religious horror. Well, and, I'll, t- I'll tell you, got, there were, there were babies. There yeah. were babies in my audience. <laughs> And there was a there was a jump scare in the goddamn trailer. <laughs> oh, oops! Uh, babies don't like that, and and, and and babies don't like jump scares because they have no sense of object permanence. Everything is a jump scare. <laughs> you know, it's a jump scare when you cover your face and go peekaboo. That's a jump scare for a baby. Oh shit! He's back. I didn't think he'd ever come back. <laughs> it's the sequel. <laughs> 
So I can I can see that again. Blue Beetle was supposed to be like a family film, right? They were expecting so you you know you market the horror movies to the teenagers, yep. and then you market the you know, and if you have someone bringing young kids to this, of course, a Paw Patrol movie. Uh, I get I get that, and still, um, again, I'm amused at how the articles you know on entertainment media frame the box office receipts for that. And I forgot what the other movie was. Yeah. Well, I also saw articles that were like James Gunn's DC stumbles out of the gate. I don't think James Gunn had a goddamn thing to do with this. This thing was, this thing was completed before he signed the contracts. They just tried to say it was a James Gunn film. So people didn't think it was a Snyder film. Or at that, that it's part of the James Gunn DCU again, which I don't get, I don't know any other I don't know any other industry where people are so obsessed with whoever's running the studio, you know, okay. Maybe in sports. Cause right now there's this whole thing with the Chicago white Sox. Uh, the, the owner fired like the, the, the general manager and the president and they're bringing in someone new and sports fans in Chicago are saying, Oh, Jerry Reinsdorf, who's the owner of the white Sox. You should sell the team. We can't stand him. We can't stand owners. You know, in I guess that's transferring over now to pop pop culture. Ah, I don't like that studio head. Why is that studio head doing this sort of thing? The only person who gets as much flack as James Gunn these days is Kathleen Kennedy, and yeah. and and J- Kathleen Kennedy gets twice as much because mix in the criticism and the misogyny. Oh yeah, yeah. I think the hardcore fans always know who's running their show because I saw um I saw Gibson guitar fans yelling for Henry Jessica with the CEO to be fired. And he stepped down a couple of years ago and people were celebrating, you know, and now, and then every guitar that came out the next year, they're like, Oh, these are the real guitars, you know? So I think there were people, you know, there were people calling for Jim Shooter's head when we were kids, but, but I think it's just the information is passed around really, really, really strongly. And you really send me back on that Jim Shooter reference. Uh, yeah, I just watched a YouTube video about Jim Shooter, about the rise and fall of Jim Shooter. It's like, I mean, you can't, I know he really pissed off a lot of folks, but I'm like, when you look at what he did during, what Marvel did during his tenure as editor-in-chief, I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, it was, like the, the, it was like the Silver Age of the Silver Age. And he, he... Man, and, and if all and the one time that pu- the publishing arm did not listen to him, I know there are folks right now, probably somewhere there, kicking themselves because there was a time when the DC Comics brand was so down, so done, Marvel could have conceivably bought the character rights to Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, like all the big DC characters, much like how uh, DC absorbed um, Captain Marvel, Charlton. You know? Yeah, DC. and Charlton. Yeah, yeah. But but I'm talking before then, which before, is where Blue Beetle comes from. Right, right. But before then, there was a time when you could have. Jim Shooter says we can get, we can buy the rights of these characters, pull them into the Marvel universe. They would be ours. And uh, his bosses said, "No, we have no interest in them." Can you mm-hmm. imagine if Superman were and Batman were Marvel characters? Well, now you're you're going to play butterfly effect then, because if Warner Brothers didn't own those characters, would we have gotten? the superman we have got yeah i I think i think this is after i think this early 80s so the christopher superman would have already been done but we've gotten a warner brothers tim burton batman 
you know, yeah. Warner Brothers has a lot of incentive to make those movies. Yeah, yeah, but still, they could, but still, they Marvel could have owned the character rights. I don't know if they would have owned the movie rights. Like, and then back then, Marvel didn't have Marvel Studios, so right. they weren't yeah, well, in the movie business. But again, well, Marvel's having, Marvel's still dealing with selling Spider Man twenty five years ago, right? So. So that that that's also you know for for them going ah oh, we could have bought Batman oh why did we sell Spider Man yeah well they sold Spider Man because they needed the money it's always when you need the money speaking of Spider Man and money okay how the hell does this fan film generate a hundred k all right let's get into this right a hundred thousand dollars in crowdfunding all right and don't get me wrong. It was a fairly decent looking movie. It was, yes. Yeah, thousand. So Spider-Man Lotus, I've been hearing chatter about this for a couple of years on uh, social media. And I'm like, well, it's a fan film. I'm like, I'm not going to watch fan films. I know there's things like Star Trek Continues out there, you know, where they do the 60s show. And I'm like, and more power to them. Like if you're doing it with, you know, genuine love and enthusiasm, I'm all for it. But like, Spider-Man Lotus, it just kept getting more and more and more heat. And there were people that were saying that Spider-Man Lotus is going to be better than No Way Home. And the trailer, they have some decent CG. The web swinging in this looks good. The costume looks good. Uh, they And the, the video looks good. It, it reminded me of how far we've come with technology. You know, is that you can shoot a feature-looking film on a cheap camera. I'm like, I don't... When I was watching it, I was like, I don't see how something like Full Moon Entertainment was any better than this. You know, something that was direct-to-video back in the 80s and 90s looked this good. So I, so on one hand, I was impressed that you can make something this good for $100,000. When, as we said, Flash is over $200 million. Uh, on the other hand, watching the entire thing is a different story. <laughs> I mean, I had, to, I had to keep reminding myself, this is a fan film. This is a fan film. This is a fan film. And if I have any criticism of this film, it's not so much of the film itself, but all the chatter surrounding it. That, as you said, there was all this, oh, this is going to be the greatest Spider-Man movie. I mean, I'm going to tell you, I hadn't even heard of it, okay? I had not even heard of this film until you mentioned, mentioned it to me. Oh, I'm sorry. I brought it to your attention. Yeah, you it, I had not, I, this one totally got by me, was under my radar, never even showed up on my radar. Radar, even considering that that once I saw the movie, then the the YouTube algorithm starts populating my feed with everything having to do with Spider-Man Lotus. So it was the trailers, it was the, all that was going on with it, and then a lot of controversy and a lot of the controversy. Which I'm sorry, uh, this is me, but I think a lot of it's bullshit. Not, not that, um, not that certain things got exposed, but then the way. Uh, the creators tried to address it and and how people are reacting to it and all those things. Although, I don't know, even the way things got exposed, there's a lot of invasions of privacy going on here. Which and we, it all happened at once because they were like, yeah. look what the lead actor said and look what the director said. It's almost, I don't know. And and honestly, it's one of those things where like they were saying racist things and I, I, I couldn't find any article or any video that was talking about what they said. They, uh, I saw a lot of videos reacting to other videos. Yeah, saying, oh, they're racist, they did this. And I had you had to dig a bit. There was a Newsweek article um, talking a little bit about- It got into Newsweek. Yes, it did. And, and even the, the, like the, the, lead, the actor who played Peter Parker, 
um, uh, Wayne is his last name. I forget. Yeah. WW. Uh, you know, essentially fessing up and going, you know what? Yeah, I w- that's the way I was. I, the moment he said, I grew up homeschooled in a Christian conservative family, I was like, fam, say no more. Yeah. Okay. I know, I know where this is going. I'm sorry. No offense. And I know there will be people who take offense. But when you grow up in a conservative Christian family, add to that you are homeschooled. You are in a bubble. Yeah. You do not get exposed to any. I'm going to tell you, I grew up in a very conservative Christian household too. And it wasn't until I got sent to a magnet high school where I got to be around folks of all different uh, races, creeds, and colors that I got the exposure I needed to understand other people. And it wasn't until I went into animal welfare and I worked with so many people in the LGBTQ community that I was able to get out of that particular shell that I had been raised in. So when a when you have a kid who's like 22 years old making his first movie that garners a lot of attention and just a couple years ago he knew he lived in an insular community where let's be honest that kind of stuff happens that's the way people talk mm-hmm. and that's the way people believe. I'm sorry conservative Christians do not have the uh the, the highest view of of the uh, of the LGBT. other cultures. Yeah, of other cultures. So When he says, I understood it, that's what I grew up in, I'm trying to be a better person, boom, okay, let's go. He fesses up, he's not denying it, let's all fucking move on. But people just want to hammer and hammer on it. Why? So they can generate clicks on their own videos, you know, with their outrage. Oh, how dare they? Well, I also wonder, since this thing was crowdfunded, I also wonder how many people crowdfunded it, watched it, and then it was like, I hate these guys. They took my money. Huh? Huh? I paid two hundred dollars for this. You know what? They're racist. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I'm sure there are plenty of people like the who fund Ethan Van Skyver uh, projects, yeah. and they're like, "Oh, these guys are great." <laughs> Comicsgate. So, I mean, to me, again, and, and again, I'm not trying to dismiss. I'm not saying that that racism, and I think racism is funny. I'm not saying homophobia is funny. I'm not saying it should be tolerated. I'm not saying it should be endorsed. All I'm saying is, is a lot of the outrage that was being focused on this, you know, especially like, again, the kid who plays Peter Parker, when he comes out, he says, hey, here I am. I, this is, this is what I was. I know what I was. It was wrong. I'm growing. And again, folks, 21, 22 year old kid. Okay. The fact that, and he was saying stuff like this when he was what, 17, 18, 19. Mm-hmm. Let's 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 be real. We've all been. Ah, God, I was way. I was stupid when I was that age too. So, oh yeah, I was just talking to. I was just talking to Howie Weingarten, and we uh, when we were in high school and college, we taught ourselves improv by you know turning on a boombox and recording stuff and doing characters and throwing at it. And uh, I was talking to him yesterday about it, and, and it for me it was like one of my first steps of learning how to broadcast, and then getting into stand up, and then writing sketches. Um, but like some of that stuff, I was just saying to him, imagine if every single thing we put on one of those tapes was out there on the internet and he shuddered. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, let's be honest there. Uh, culture changes, mores change the, the way we are in society changes. There are a lot of things that, that we laughed about then that we wouldn't certainly wouldn't now, but I'm, but I'm, that's, we evolve, we change. And, mm-hmm. and the fact that people get, want to be angry about it. Uh, look, I used to love Sanford and Son. 
that show, I watched that show with my dad all the time. Red Fox was hilarious. You know what? There's a lot of stuff that I watch. Like you look at it, the old YouTube clips. Some of the humor is a bit problematic. Yes. But oh, I'm yeah. I still love Sanford and Son. So <laughs> yes. and, and maybe it's because it's me. Maybe it's because it's me. And, you know, that's the, the generation I grew up in. I, I, I know there are younger and even younger black comedians who'd go, oh, boy, I don't know. Yeah, that's not going to work. Right. You know? So, so, to me though, it, it, for us to like persecute the previous generation, you know, is kind of ridiculous. Uh, with the exception of slavery, okay. <laughs> well, let's let's get past the controversy around the movie, which which honestly was pressed for the movie because I was like, why am I still hearing about this Spider-Man Lotus? And then I, I looked at the poster and I looked at the trailer and I was like. Well, I'm a, I'm a Spider-Man diehard, and I feel like, okay, there's a Spider-Man movie out there that I haven't seen, and it's free on YouTube. If you want to see Spider-Man Lotus, you can just search for it on YouTube, and you'll get the entire two-hour movie. So, uh, And you're going to feel those two hours. Yeah, so, here, <laughs> so here's the thing. I don't want to dogpile on it because it is kids trying to make a movie, yeah. but I felt like – Director was, was like 18. Yeah, I felt like so there was some – I'm going to give him credit. I'm going to give him credit there on the ground. This is a really this is really polished for a kid like out of high school. Yeah, it's a you did it yeah. kind of thing. It's yeah. like, you know, when it had have you ever done film festivals and mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of stuff like this, but there were some serious things that made me question. There were notes. This is when you needed a yes. studio. Okay, head. let's say these are our notes. These are the notes. Okay, note number one. Not every fucking scene needs a music track under it. Okay. There are times where think people can be emotional. You do not need emotional music playing under it. I think of the the actual hour and 50 minutes of runtime for this movie. That's like 10 minutes worth of credits afterwards, which was another crazy thing. I I counted, I think I I picked up 30, 30 seconds total of screen time with no soundtrack with no music under it but and it was all very sad piano yes it was all like and, and in fact i was listening to it at one point i just started saying out loud premiumbeats.com <laughs> <laughs> because it was such easily sourced music and but, no, but some of it was that they had their own their own soundtrack uh, their own score yes there were, there were there were a couple of songs written for it but but, but you could tell that i'm sorry you could tell that First, that this 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 kid, I'm gonna call him a kid because he's young, couldn't let go of any of the footage that he filmed. Oh, all right, the drone yeah. shots, all the overhead stuff, all these. You know, I, I swear to God, how many how many views, long extended views of the New York skyline do we need to see? You know, if I can criticize Robert Wise for being gratuitous when it comes to showing the Enterprise at the beginning of Star Trek: The Motion Picture, you know. For that long scene, just because they knew they spent all that money on that model and they didn't want to leave that footage on the on the on the editing room floor, I can certainly tell this kid enough with the freaking drone shots. Okay? Well, I, I noticed in the credits that he was also the editor, which is always a mistake. Yes, because he fell in yeah. love with everything he yeah. shot, even even you know the overhead stuff of the of the city. It's, it's got to be all Getty images uh, motion, because you know this kid. This kid did not get a drone to fly around Manhattan. Well, there was but, but even all that was in there. Stuff. Yeah. No, but and, and at the same time, uh, yeah, you know, it maybe there was one point when I was going, this feels like George Lucas here, because George Lucas has that same problem where he can't 
let go of certain shots. So he would just, how many, like ever since he did, took over like editing on the uh, special editions and the, and the prequels, how many shots of ships taking off and landing did we see? Like every all ship, the fucking time. Every all ship that time. we saw took off and landed, landed. at some point. Like, we don't need to see that. It's, yeah. We need to move things along. And then, so that was my first note. Okay, let's say, I would say, hey, we can save some money on the soundtrack here. We don't need a musical score for everything. And then uh, to, uh, uh, note number two, I'm a Spider-Man fan, and I'm here to see the Spider-Man punch somebody. When the fuck do I get to see Spider-Man punch somebody? Yeah, there's a fight with a shocker in the beginning, but it's not really. And that's the thing with budget, because I'm like, okay, you can you can shoot these people talking for $1,000, but even the, the fights we did have, they were cut like Batman Begins, where you never see punches connect, you don't see any choreography. And and I was thinking, all right, this is where budget really comes in in an action movie. Like, you can't plan out these action sequences very well. And he does. He only fights the shocker in the beginning. The rest, you know, and there are flashbacks with the Green Goblin. Yeah, but it's, but the Green Goblin's not part of the story. He's not part of the story, or he's it's all flashback, and his mouth doesn't move while he talks, which is kind of creepy. It was, yeah, it was. I mean, you you could say the same thing about Willem Dafoe, but the Green Goblin in this was wearing a mask that looked like it should have moved. Should have moved, right? And then, so there, I would say that now they showed why certain comic book characters just don't translate into live action very well so right they didn't and then um and then note number three uh spider-man cannot act with his mask on we need to see his face if this movie proved anything it shows how smart they were to have tom holland take off his mask most of the time so that you could actually see his face when he's in a scene and actually get the emotions that well you have to you have to be really good at mine to, yeah. to be in a Spider-Man suit because you know you're going to be completely covered. So it's all about body language. And there's a lot you can do with body language that I think these well, kids Andrew, didn't have the training for. Well, also, Andrew Garfield was very good at it. Yeah, yeah, Andrew Garfield was probably the best at it. Um, Tom Holland's really good. The, uh, the brilliance in the Tom Holland eras is that they realized they could animate the eyes and, and give him expressions that the other Spider-Mans don't have. Yeah, um, And obviously this is not a budget... You know, I've seen kids on Etsy build, you know, animating eyes masks, but I don't think this had the budget to do that. But yeah, there was a lot of Spider-Man just standing around. But my, it, it all for me, it all comes back to the uh, the fact that this movie isn't any fun. And I was like, you're making this movie because you love Spider-Man. You know, going in that you're not affiliated with Marvel, you're not affiliated with Disney, you're not affiliated with Sony. You can't make any money on. You're not, you know, you you can you can crowdfund for it, but you can't sell tickets to it. You can't sell DVDs. You're not going to get rich out of this, you know. So, is this a real like, you know, the Batman versus Predator back in the early 2000s? You know, the guy who the guy who created that, which was just a 10 minute fight between Batman and the Predator with the Joker, that became his real, and he ended up working for Stan Winston. Yeah, but since this is feature length, that's not a reel. Like a reel is ten minutes, and the thing that kept bothering me about it, as you said, there's no fights, but like everything is sad, and I and the reason Spider-Man has become more of my favorite character than Batman since the pandemic is that Spider-Man's fun. Yeah, 
there's the pathos in there. You know, Aunt May is sick. You know, Mary Jane breaks up with him. J. Jonah Jameson doesn't like his picture, so he has no money. You know, uh, he loses a fight in an embarrassing way. There's there there are sad moments, but but Spider-Man's funny. And that's the thing I love the most about Spider-Man is there are great jokes, there are awkward things in it. Um, it's it should be the most fun of all the superheroes. And there's the only time you see someone smile in this movie is in slow motion in a montage. There's no there, there's no excitement, there's no energy, there's no joy. And I kept thinking, if you're doing this for the love of Spider-Man, how come there's no love in this movie? And it it's just I'm like, was everybody who made this just very emo? <laughs> Is this yes. does, did, did yes. this movie combine the emo of Spider-Man 3 with the <laughs> plot convolutions of amazing Spider-Man 2? Yeah. It was, it was, I was. Is there no mods to the two worst Spider-Man movies? <laughs> well, I'll bring up our, 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 our friend Tom Feaster again, because he commented on his Facebook page how he saw the flash and it wasn't as bad as everyone said. So I commented, hey, now do that new Spider-Man movie. <laughs> and he went, what? And I sent him a link oh, to it. And then 10 minutes later, from- 10 minutes later, he responded, sorry, couldn't do it. <laughs> It was like Spider-Man on the CW. <laughs> well, that not even that. It was like it was it was almost like a ah, God. It was almost like a student film of the CW. <laughs> it was because everything was weepy. You know, everyone was everyone was crying. It was constantly They're, raining. Constantly raining. I, the one thing that impressed me was uh, Mary Jane and Gwen do pass the Bechdel test because there's a scene where they ask each other about their lives. But then there's a very weird scene where Flash Thompson shows up and he just starts talking about how much he loves Peter and he won't shut up about it to Mary Jane, who in this is Harry Osborne's girlfriend. Because it's set, it's set right after Gwen Stacy dies. So <laughs> Peter and MJ are not a couple in this. And like Flash is just, Flash looks like he's in love with Peter Parker. <laughs> What's well, the constantly revolving around Peter Parker? This is the whole thing. But now it's my, now I, if I understand correctly, the source material for this was the boy who loves Spider-Man or the mm-hmm. boy who collected Spider-Man and Spider-Man blue. like the Right. Tim the Jeff Loeb Tim sale. Right. So I don't know how much of that was a direct lift because it it's, felt very Jeff Loby. It's the scenario, yeah. The basically the scenario. Have you read Spider Man Blue? No. Oh, it's as good as Long Halloween. Uh, it uh, and half the I length. I'm, uh, I was not the biggest fan of Long Halloween. To be oh, honest. okay. Well, That's yeah, me. yeah. But it's uh, but it is about Peter. Rem- it's about a modern Peter who's married to MJ, mm. remembering what it was like with Gwen Stacy. So then each issue is like an homage to the stanley john ramita senior oh, okay. era so like vultures in it and cravens in it and mysterios in it and it's really well done i think there's to me there are two jeff lobes there are there are the long halloween jeff lobes and then there are the uh the the, the hush jeff lobe i like the hush jeff lobe because okay. i like i thought see i didn't want to use hush as a bad example because that was jeff lobe just setting up pitches for Jim Lee to knock out. And I was going to say that's Jeff, that's Jeff Loeb 
tr tremendously benefits from having the greatest artists in the industry, you know, yeah. pretty much. Well, that, and if, if, Jim I Lee... had, if I had Jim Lee and Tim Sale and Ed McGinnis drawing all my books, I'd be a name too. <laughs> yeah, but he could fuck that up. He could he could be giving them stuff that they're not good at drawing. Uh, but he did fuck some things up because I can tell the art was carrying a lot of that script. So. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to stand behind Jeff Lowe, but I think Long Halloween is really great. Most of his Tim Sale stuff is great. Yeah, but I'm you know I'm not going to stand behind you know some of the Superman Batman stories or Cable or Red Red Hulk. Yeah, that. Red well, Hulk. But, yeah, but to the point about the source, I mean, and I could tell that you know they're they're trying to make Spider Man get to the to the bit, but I'm like, at one point there, well, first there were some editing issues, like how long did freaking Spider Man spend in this kid's room? Because at one point it's night, and then it's daytime yeah. again, and then it's night. I'm like, what? Well, you so, cut away. Well, there's cutaways to Mary Jean and Harry, yeah, who are crying in a car in the rain at night. And then they cut back to Spider-Man and it's day. It's my, my favorite thing in that in that scene. So he goes into the kid's room and this is based on the kid who collected Spider-Man, a Roger Stern, uh, Ron Friend story, right around the time of Hobgoblin in the Black Costume. It's, it's one of the best amazing Spider-Man runs. It's a 10-page story. It only takes up half that issue. There's, there's 12 pages of Spider-Man fighting one guy from the Wrecking Crew and it's John Romita Jr. artwork and it's great. But... In this, like, yeah, he stays there all day. But when he comes in, there's Spider-Man everything in the kids' room. And it was like, I was like, oh, that's a little clever. They just put Marvel stuff up. Like, hey, that's the cover for issue 100. That's the cover for issue 125. But the thing that made me laugh out loud was they had, like, a 1981 Spider-Man cartoon on. And Craven's on there, and I'm like, oh, okay, I guess in this universe they've made cartoons about Craven. But as they're talking, Peter Parker comes on screen <laughs> in the cartoon. So the cartoon just made a lucky guess. <laughs> We're like, you know what? We think Spider-Man might be Peter Parker. And the real Spider-Man in this movie's like, hey, you got me. <laughs> and, and I was thinking, this is a perfect setup for Parker to say, Man, all this merchandise, and I do not get a cent from it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get a cent. And then, okay, and then he goes through the whole. He sees all the Daily Bugle shit up on the wall, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 then and he's like, "Oh, I'm I'm horrible because Jay Jonah Jameson tells me how horrible I am." And then the kid shows him the scrapbook with all the New York Times stuff, which is showing Spider-Man really more in a positive light. At which point, I'm going, "Holy shit!" You know. It's not like all media hate, hates Spider-Man. So Peter Parker is essentially just listening to Fox News to get his own self-image, you know? He's I, on social media. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I'm like, dude, like, read something other than the bugle, all right? Well, well obviously, Peter Parker has generalized anxiety disorder. And, and one of the symptoms of that is you filter out the compliments and you lock in on the insults. Sure. And then, so you're talking to this kid who's like dying of cancer or anything. And you go, hey, kid, uh, just so you know, uh, I know you're dying and you idolize me. But, uh, you know, that uh, alt-right newspaper that I work for doesn't uh, think I'm all that great. I mean, seriously, Parker, really? I just, I just was having – I was struggling with that because it just seemed like it was – it was leaning too hard into certain things, like to justify the dramatic, uh, the 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 dramatic tone. 
Well, also, it it undercuts the drama because the original kid who collected Spider-Man story, um, Spider-Man just shows up in this kid's room. And he's like, hey, I heard about you in the Bugle, that you're the biggest Spider-Man fan. And they have this whole conversation. And at the very end, when Spider-Man leaves, you see it's you see it's like a hospital for terminal patients. That's the punchline of the story. Mm-hmm. In this, in the beginning, he gets a letter. Hey, my kid's dying. Come on over. And the mom's totally cool with Spider-Man. They're just like, hey, Spider-Man, do you want to be left alone with my kid? Because <laughs> not only does the Daily Bugle not trust you, I have no proof that you are Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, there were people who left their kids alone with Michael Jackson. So, I mean, uh, well, I'm not saying that they were great parents, but still. Yeah, but in, in the 80s. But I also love where he just yells at the kid and bums, it, bums him out. I know. I mean, this kid's dying. You know this kid is dying. How? What is wrong with you, dude? Get out of your pit of self self-loathing and just for a moment, put literally put on a mask. I mean, he's literally got it on. Emotionally, put on a mask. Say, hey, kid, I know you're believing me. Blah blah blah, and go. And, but there was this whole bit where, again, it's Peter Parker. He is beating himself up about the Gwen Stacy incident, obviously. Which, by the way, let's say you weren't really the biggest Spider-Man fan. Let's say you just knew Spider-Man in passing and you had only seen maybe one or two of the movies. You might be completely lost as to why, uh, how Gwen Stacy died. And Oh, yeah, because they just show before and after. I, yeah. I think because of budget. Like, you know, they're not climbing up to the top of the Brooklyn Bridge. No, but it's it, they don't even, like, you're starting to intimate. Wait, what happened? How did it happen? What happened? You know... It's and like, I think that's part of it being a fan film. It's a, it's by fans for fans. There's no attempt. And I don't know if this is the amateurish nature of it or because it's so inside baseball is there's no setup. Um, I watched, I watched a really, really good review of the, of this movie, uh, Johnny Tuchello's who does a lot of really well-researched Spider-Man stuff. And, and he was saying how uh, that this movie does nothing to introduce you to the characters because it assumes you know who the characters are, but we don't know this version of the characters at all. Mm-hmm. Like, like we haven't gotten to know them uh, as people through the actors. Because obviously, Peter Parker has been played by three different people three different ways. And I, um, I know watching Andrew Garfield, who is the first new Spider-Man um, in a movie. I still don't like those movies, but I did like him. It took me like 10, 15 minutes to go, okay, this is how he's doing this is how he's doing the, the role. This is how he approaches Peter Parker. This is the kind of person he is, and he's not Tobey Maguire. You know, uh, we don't get that at all in this. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how this guy played Peter Parker or Spider-Man. He was very, he was very flat. He was very flat performance. I yeah. mean, and again, this is, I, I the kid, homeschooled, whatever. This is probably one of his first big acting roles. I'm going to cut him some slack. He probably learned, learned, it was like learning on the fly. All of these kids in this movie were learning on the fly. Yeah, they were, it wasn't even, it wasn't, it wasn't community theater. It wasn't even acting class. It was like, it looked like some people's first attempt. High school drama club, but, but you're not even in the drama class. You just joined the drama club. (laughs) The, uh, yeah. And it's so funny, the homeschool thing, because I didn't realize that now. And it said it was shot in New York. And I was like, really? I was like, this doesn't feel like New York. 
Um, you know, and obviously, you know, I lived the first 40 years of my life in New York. I lived on streets where they shot the Spider-Man features. Like literally I had one apartment in the Tobey Maguire movie and a different apartment in the Tom Holland movie. But I was like, this really looks like, like Des Moines <laughs> where you shot this. Des Moines does not have buildings that big. No. Uh, I, Des Moines. Everybody's got a silo. Everybody's got one warehouse. Yeah, but it's that's as tall as it goes, is what I'm saying. Yeah. The silos, you know, you definitely cannot see the rest of the city, you know, from the yeah, you know, just nothing but flatland. But yeah, but there's there's no feel of the character of the city in this. No. And and obviously you can't pay for extras, you know. You, they're on deserted streets all the time. You're not gonna get you're not gonna get Jim Norton saying he stinks and I don't like him. And and you and you would think out of all the the, out of all the freaking tombstones in New York, they could have found one that said Gwen Stacy on it. Oh, they blurred that right out. Blurred a, or a Ben Parker or a Norman Osborne. Yeah. It's not an O-R-N, but it was, I don't know, probably, it didn't, probably didn't say Osborne on it, but come on, seriously, it's New York. And I think they went to the same cemetery that's in Amazing Spider-Man 2. No. Because no. in the Andrew Garfield, where Gwen's headstone was, there's this big cemetery that's the border of Brooklyn and Queens, and you can see the L over it. Mm-hmm. I think they went to the same place, but they didn't. Yeah, they didn't quite capture it. And again, I'm, I don't want to shit on it, but it was it was just odd. I just I just it felt like the director was really going through an emo phase because I felt like sixty percent of this was kids walking around like saying, "You don't understand me." <laughs> Okay, it was an hour-long movie stretched out over hour 40. And yeah. And I'm gonna say A, it was a fan film. I hold it to fan film standards, but can I tell you something? There's a reason why fan films are fan films. Okay. Yeah. And the thing that kills me is that every, you get all this hubbub, all this this buzz about oh, this is gonna be the best, this or that, whatever. And when it's a fan film, they do it better than the ma- the major studios do no 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 sorry no mind you there are, there are some very there were some very clever bits in this particular film there were i was impressed by a couple things but after a while i was like looking at i was like again oh my god are we back to this again are we back to harry crying about things yeah we, you know i was like what where is this going and then the what what drove me nuts is at the very end you think, okay, Peter's finally gotten over the hump. He's going to stop being so emo about everything and 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 and, um, and and pulling back from his friends. There's that scene where he's about to go into the party to be with his friends to to finally enjoy their companionship, and something happens, and it's like I don't know, was it his spider sense or whatever? And then because then he stops. And he runs away and does like a Superman bit where he takes his shirt yeah, off and you see the siren. Yeah. But then you're like, okay, what are we gonna get him get to see what actually happened? No, no, that the movie's over at that point. I'm like, you just undercut the entire fucking point of Peter that he was supposed to be reconnecting again, yep. and now he's ah anyway. Yeah, no, it, it it was all over the place. But um, but let let's switch. I didn't think we'd yell at the soul mold. <laughs> Let's... Okay, so I saw I saw maybe an hour's worth of decent movie in Spider-Man, yeah. uh, 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 Spider-Man Lotus. I think half hour tops in the Flash. I saw some decent production design. <laughs> but, That's what I saw. 
once you got to the bat cave i'm like oh that's actually pretty cool and that scene oh, oh yeah the flash yeah, yeah the flash i'm sorry now we're in the flash i thought you were that was, i thought your last your last uh, comments about spider-man lotus was ah, i could have been a half an hour yeah no that's a half now an hour get into, into the, the flash. flash which is which flipping from a hundred thousand dollar movie to as much money as you can spend on a movie. What's it like 220 million, something like that? It was. And you know, like Indiana Jones, there was a lot of COVID costs in there. Yeah, COVID costs, promotional stuff as always. And then you had the freaking, you had the PR company going, I don't know how much, uh, dealing with the whole uh, Ezra Miller this, Ezra Miller that. And that, that for all the flack that, that Spider-Man Lotus got for that, then you already had going in the whole thing with Ezra Miller, which is another thing that I'm, I, I myself find, I'm sorry. I, I, I find myself to, I find that to be crass and, and, and unless you know Ezra Miller and personally uh, to say that the guy's trash and shouldn't be working or whatever, you know, nothing about them, you know, nothing about their mental health and the issues that they're having. You, you have no place to talk. And, and as someone who you're, we're going to, this is the thing. We're years from now. They're going to be talking about Ezra Miller's, uh, you know, um, issues with with uh, mental health and all the things that he that, that they went through. I'm sorry. Um, you know, it's he's um non-binary that they went through, just like people talk about what uh, Britney Spears. Remember how right. uh, they're, they're they're saying, "Oh, how could we be talking about Britney Spears that way all this time?" And uh, people love dogpiling on Britney Spears back then. Yep. Well, yeah. they build they build you up and they, and they tear you down. Yeah. I will say this about Ezra Miller: uh, when Ezra Miller was having his problems and they thought it was going to uh, hurt the box office, there was a petition to replace Ezra Miller with Grant Gustin, who was the Flash for ten years of the TV show. And watching this movie, I think it would have helped. Because I just found Ezra Miller to be irritating and unlikable, and and to do it twice, like when you're not looking at Ezra Miller, you're looking at a more annoying Ezra Miller. <laughs> well, I will say I never. I'll be honest again. The, just speaking from a purely creative standpoint, I didn't understand why they didn't bring Grant Gustin into this. Yeah, sure, I mean, it's going to sure it's going to throw everything off because people go know Grant Gustin as a television Flash. But if you bring him into but this, this is about the multiverse. Blah blah blah. Yes, it I, showed Adam West. Yes, but you and then uh, why they didn't have Grant Gustin just appear for a bit would have been fun. Hell, instead of making it the as the Ezra Miller show where it's Barry Allen and younger Barry Allen, make it Barry Allen, Ezra Miller, and Barry Allen Grant Gustin, and they're together trying to deal with all this stuff. Yeah, make make the series one Grant Gustin because Ezra Miller was goofy in Justice League. Yeah. So I, I was. I don't know, but I would think overall, though, considering I'm watching this movie and I'm like, okay, remember how we say that uh, we've said on Top Men that Last Crusade is kind of like an overcorrection for yeah. a Temple of Doom? You know, it's like it's all it's it goes really light when Temple of Doom went really dark. We want to be closer to Raiders, but it's even more it's even goofier than that. It's like Flash felt like a major overcorrection for Justice League. Yes. Like where there was absolutely no joy or laughter or smiles in Justice League. They're like, we're going to we're going to be funny. We're going to have Batman out himself as an egomaniac in this one. And 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 you know what? And I was there going 
because I watched the first, say, 15 minutes, and I was like, okay, if this were an issue of Justice League International, like a, a Keith Giffen, Kevin Maguire comic, and all the stuff that happened in the Flash movie happened in that comic, I would have had no problem with it. I would have been like, oh, that's hilarious. Oh, Yeah, but I, I felt like it, it wasn't the right tone for comedy. I felt like... They, they. I felt like I felt like I was watching a comic bomb for two hours, because none of none of the jokes landed. I mean, you you got the director who did it, and you're like, all right, do a big superhero movie because you did a lot of CG in it, and make it funny, right? And they were like, and they did the the, you know, they broke the they did the cardinal sin of not funny people trying to be funny. They got louder and faster, right? And then and back to the whole thing that things that work in comic books and work in animation do not necessarily work in live action because i could go over that that scene in my head a hundred times i don't know how you make it work yeah yeah i don't i really don't and i don't yeah the again with the tone with this this movie really made me to go back to spider-man it made me appreciate spider-man no way home so much more because this movie was trying so hard to do that and in the middle of the movie i went wow no way home could have been this if they didn't if they if they didn't handle it sensitively and they didn't handle it with love and reference, the end of this movie felt like the end of space jam two, which was another Warner brothers movie where they just threw every single IP they had on the screen on top of each other. So in the, in a, like a ready player one kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like ready player one much. I didn't like the book. I didn't like the movie. Um, but those things had reasons to be piled on top of each other. Yeah, in both Space Jam and the Flash, it was like, "What's everything we own? Show them that. Maybe they'll like that." And and the CGness of it was so odd because it's like, you know, the CG Chris Reeve comes, okay, he's passed away. CG at at Adam West comes, okay, he's passed away. CG Nicholas Cage, you know, and he didn't even know he was in it. No, yeah, he didn't. Even, he found out. He goes, "What? My, I'm in this thing." He could have did what for what that CG character did. He could have been. They are in front of a green screen for one hour, you know. There were and there were green screen Gal Gadot's and Ben Affleck's who are in the ma- the damn movie. Yep, yep. Who are all waxy and plastic, and it's like you. They were there. Just shoot them. Shoot them making that motion. And I was like, because I had heard about all these, you know, cameos. Yeah, they, they were spoiled. Out. Right, they were spoiled. But I was like, okay, finally, I want to see the Christopher Reeve Superman and the Helen Slater. Supergirl and the George Reeves Superman. I want to see them all going after Zod because obviously that's what this is, right? The multiverse is coming together to deal with this one thing, and Zod's going to get taken down by like the Legion of Supermen. No, it's just, no, they're just looking around. They're just in a ball. Just in a ball looking. I'm like, yeah, what was the? It's like, it's like, it's like the old Pat Oswald bit about the prequels. He's like, oh, in the third movie, you're going to see the Death Star. Ooh, is, is it blowing up planets and killing people? No, it's just like a blueprint of it. Somebody's looking at it. <laughs> no, actually, the third one is you see the outline of it, like a skeleton. The second one, you see the blueprint. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I, I, again, this was a movie that, that I was mad at this movie going into it. And the reason I was mad at this is when they shifted the marketing and tried to make it a Batman movie. And I, and I just kept saying, you don't have faith in the character 
that you built the movie around and made the title like the flash has got the flash is again a fun character i adore the mark wade run of the flash who I by the way really... doesn't get a mention in the credits can you believe that no he doesn't and that i like i like the jeff the yeah. jeff johns version of the flash of course both of those were wally west and they they have this weird thing where they're trying to have have their barry allen and eat their wally west too because they just keep turning Barry Allen into Wally's personality. Yeah. But I love the Flash, and I'd love—I would have loved to see the Flash's rogues. How much fun would it have been yeah. for to have a big budget movie where he fights Captain Cold and the Heat Miser and Captain Boomerang and you know Gold well, Glider? Captain, Captain Boomerang, remember he's in Suicide Squad. He was—he's dead. Well, they bring him over for it. Yeah, yeah and you—you you put it, you put it a year before. Maybe it's. You put it in the multiple. You know what? Make the whole movie him fighting Gorilla Grodd. That would have been ah, fun. See? That would have been, that been I, The TV show did it, and I, I couldn't watch the, the TV show was too CW uh, teen soap opera for me. But there was one day where I'm sitting in a bar, and they have the, just have the TV on randomly. And I'm sitting with my friend, and the Flash is fighting Gorilla Grodd in the television show. And I've never gone back and watched the whole thing, but I think it's season three. And my friend and I were literally like, they put Gorilla Grodd in a live action television show? And we just sat there watching it with no sound. And that would have that would have been enough. And the fact that they were like, all right, we're going to turn this into a multiverse movie because that's what's selling. Because it's Spider-Verse and No Way Home and Multiverse and Madness. But then they put the whole movie behind Michael Keaton. And I was like, God, this is not the third Michael Keaton Batman movie. And you knew that going in, and it wasn't. But you got to admit, he was good. He was good. He was very good as Batman. I Michael was... Keaton is always very good. Yeah. Like... And, and there's probably some of the best Batman fight scenes with him in it. Yeah. He was that, that, that I mean, I don't think it was him, but it looked. Oh, was a stuntman. Yeah, they did a good job making it look like the Michael Keaton Batman was fighting. Better stunts, better fight choreography than in either of the first two Batman movies where he couldn't turn or do anything. So I was like, this was pretty cool. And of course, Michael Keaton is at this point just knocking everything out of the park. He can't do anything wrong right now. No, he he's so. he's fantastic and everything. And I get excited when I see him on screen. But for his role in the story and the way he, the character was treated, in the middle of it, I turned to Jill and I was like, how much you want to bet they made Christian Bale the same offer? Well, I think they had they well talk about. I know they wanted Christian Bale to be in Batman versus Superman, but the way Batman is handled in this, it he could have been any of the Batmans. Yeah, although they want uh, they they did want Christian Bale to show up at the end. Uh, remember when George Clooney shows up as Bruce? Yeah, George. Yeah, which by the way, is that a Tim Burton Planet of the Apes ending or what? <laughs> like when George Clooney shows up, I'm like, wait, so you're you're in an, another part of the multiverse and you yep. didn't solve anything pretty much i was there going uh, that was the one thing i liked i was like okay that that was clever mind you unless you knew you're like why the fuck is george clooney showing up in in the flash at the end he's bruce wayne i mean unless you know yeah it's like again if you really know your batman and your batman characters you, that, that was well, a joke that well here's the thing you, people talk about how expensive this movie was but how much do you have to pay George Clooney to show up for a day and be Bruce Wayne again? He's not, he's not like Andrew Garfield. He's not looking to go back and fix that mistake. 
you know, he spent 20 years apologizing and nobody remembers he's Batman again and and he's fine with it. He also directs movies. He's still like the biggest movie star in the world. How much? More than Michael Keaton. He's got to have made more than Michael Keaton. He probably made more. But for that one scene. Michael Keaton's in this for 25 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Michael Damn. Keaton spent at least two weeks on this movie. George Clooney did it in an afternoon. George Clooney didn't shave the beard he grew for something else. <laughs> He's like, he went, look, I want 20 million. And this is George Clooney. Look, I want 20 million and I don't even want it for me. I want you to donate it to the wife's charity. Okay. I'm going to show up. I get to pick the car. I am get, I get to pick my own wardrobe and no, I am and, not shaving. Yeah, and and even then, you know what? I pick the line I say. I'm gonna improv what I say to Barry Allen every fucking time. Take it or leave it. They all went, okay, we'll do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it would be like bringing Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark for one scene in something. Now it's like it's got to be a dump truck of money. Yeah, just yeah, because that's the only way you get him to come back. But I, yeah. but it, I will say, but there were little bits throughout this. Flat, I mean, again. If I had gone to the theater, like paid, you know, full, like paid a $20 ticket, which is what, how much it costs to see a movie in Chicago these days, I would have been pissed. I would have been like, oh. Uh, it's precisely why I didn't. Yeah. Because because this is what I was expecting. I didn't like the trailer. I didn't like the marketing. I didn't like the poster. Uh, and I, di- I didn't have faith in this movie. And then when the reviews came out, it lived down to my expectations. And then when I watched it, it I... I Okay, here's the last question I'll ask about. Going in, you knew it was not going to be good. Correct? Yeah. Was it as bad as you expected or a little worse? (laughs) You know, it's funny. That's like, okay, remember that episode of The Simpsons when the kids have to review the cartoons and the dial goes left if they don't like it, dial goes right if they like it. (laughs) Ralph cries and and goes left. Yeah. My dial kept going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Because other, I was like, "There's okay, that was really good. That was I liked that. Oh, that oh, that's terrible. Oh, that was okay. No, that's terrible. It was a, like a kind of a roller coaster ride. Is how the movie was. But then by at one point, I just got tired. I'm like, I don't care anymore. I just don't care about any of this. Um, and 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 uh, I, I I was like, Barry Allen. This is the one thing that kept driving me nuts. Barry Allen keeps referencing the Back to the Future movies. Okay. Yeah, which are universal movies. Universal. That, that confused me. I was like, right. I know, I know Warner Brothers likes to pat themselves on the back of their back catalog. But if they're going, dude, so you are, even if you follow just the rules of the Back to the Future movies, you know that fucking with time is going to have serious consequences. You know that if you fuck with time, Biff is going to be the, the 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 mayor of Hill Valley and he's going to kill your dad and all this stuff's going to happen. He's going to build a casino and he's going to make your mom get implants and do all this crazy stuff that you are desperately going to try to undo. Knowing that, he still decides to fuck with the time stream. And even uh, ignores, even right in the middle of his, of his, like, I keep fucking everything up. You know, um, I'm going to make things worse. I'm like, you realize what happens to Marty McFly, right? When when he fucks things up, he disappears. At no point does he consider, oh, by me changing this, I could disappear. So I was just so annoyed at him yeah. being, you know, everyone's. It's like uh, remember how it, it in uh, it, it, we'll talk about no about No Way Home. Everyone kept saying, well, Peter Parker, 
you know, had Dr. Strange do this whole thing that caused this big calamity and he should have known better. And it's like, well, the whole movie is about he does one thing and it fucks everything fucks up. everything up. And, but, and, but you go, well, he's like a 17 year old kid or 18 year old kid. So I cut him some slack. You know, Barry Allen is at least, you know, he's working. He's graduated from college. He's doing his he's more of an adult. He should know a little more and, and has dealt with like universe ending uh, villains. He should know better. And someone made a great, I think it was uh, Stephen Grant or whoever made comment on their Facebook page. When you think about it, Barry Allen is the villain of this film. Everything yeah. he does caught the body count <laughs> that, that occurs in this movie is because of his actions. And, and he's trying to tell his younger Barry, the younger Barry Allen, well, we got to let this world die. I'm sorry. But there's nothing we can do. It's, He's telling, it's, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I fucked up. And because of me now, yeah. your world is going to die. You're just well, going to kill it. Well, that's the other thing is like, he, he, do, he doesn't know the basic rules of time travel. But then when they can't save the Michael Keaton Batman or the, the Supergirl, uh, and they keep trying and trying, he says, I can't even remember what the term he used. But he was like, you can't do this. This is a, this is a, a it, time. It the whole point. It's like the fixed it's point a, in time in Doctor Who. It's a know. fixed point in time in Doctor Who. It's the canon event in Across the Spider-Verse. Yeah. How does he know that? Because <laughs> like, they tried it twice? No, because uh, uh, remember, Bruce Wayne tells him that in the very beginning. How does Bruce Wayne know that? It's like, no, you can't. No, but it's he doesn't going, time you travel. That. He goes, you can't change that. It's like, it was Bruce Wayne telling him that kind of like in a, in a symbolic sense. Yeah, and and not and a it, scientific sense, right? And 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 then freaking Barry Allen's discovering on a, on a quantum physics level that it's all. Here, here's the other thing: What does Barry Allen learn? Nothing. Yeah. Like, oh, he learned. Like, like he learned. Well, I guess I could have just helped my dad, you know, not go to jail, which is what he does finally. But yeah. you're like, uh, how many people had to die <laughs> for your dad to not go to jail? <laughs> Including your mom. Your mom's one of the people that. Yeah. Oh, by, the, by the way, they never explain who kills the mom in the yeah. comic. In the comics, it's reverse Flash to motivate the Flash. Yeah, but I'm there going. How about this? Just go back in time to when your mom's going to get killed. Catch the guy. I yeah. kept thinking that's what he was going to do, and that was yeah, like going to set off like a whole thing, like the fugitive. Well, well, that's the thing. At the end, I thought, wait, does Barry have to kill his mom to reset the timeline? That was that's like that's like something you'd see in Loki. Yeah, and I'm he, like, are we going to go this dark at the end of this movie? No, we're not. We're not even going to discuss that. No, but he essentially undoes what he did to save her. So knowing that, she you know, die. she's going to die. So yes, he essentially does. And nobody's going to find the killer. Nobody's going to worry yeah. about it. They're no. just like, well, it's not the dad. Let him out. We're good. Yeah. Again, whoever wrote. I mean, I, I saw this. I'm not going to give it. I'm not going to blame entirely the scriptwriter because I know directors and producers and them they're going to fuck with your script. You know when mm -hmm. it finally gets up on the screen, so I'm not going to put it all on the. I'm not going to put it all on the on, uh, on the on the lap of the screenwriter, um, but man, that that was like a major thing. That's like a huge thing that you're not addressing. Who killed Barry Allen's mom? Yeah, yeah, it's just hanging out there. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. yeah there, there's a similar thing in Blue Beetle. It's not really much of a spoiler, but like Ted Cord is missing. And so, so the legacy character is part of Blue Beetle, but you never see him. And then, uh, and, and when it ends, I was like, well, they never addressed Ted Cord. They think they're doing a sequel. And then there's a post-credit scene where there's like, uh, and spoilers for Blue Beetle, but it's it's a minor thing where it's like, 
where it's like, this is Ted Cord, I'm alive, and you don't see him. And it's like, all right, if you want to go somewhere. But they did address that plot, that plot thread. This is just all over the place. Well, before we go, and we're, we've been going long because we're angry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you've, got, you've got a PTA meeting to go. You don't, you don't I, need to I have a PTA meeting, and I haven't finished work. Um, <laughs> but before we go, as we recorded this, speaking of, of DC tragedies, uh, we learned that Arlene Sorkin, the original voice of, of Harley, Harley Quinn, passed away at the age of 67. Arlene Sorkin was a character actress. Uh, she, you would see her in a lot of sitcoms. Um, here's something I didn't know. She was married to the other Christopher Lloyd, who was a producer on Wings and Frasier. Mm. And it was Arlene Sorkin's idea that everyone who called into Frasier on the radio show would be a celebrity. Oh. And she would record the scratch tracks for each episode. So she had... She had impact everywhere she went, but the main thing with her was, um, you know, the story is famous at this point. She went to college with Paul Dini. They stayed friends. Paul was working on uh, Joker's Favor, the first Joker script, and he's like, uh, and he thought, well, I need a girl. I need somebody for Joker to talk to in the lair, you know. And looking back at the old Adam West show, there's always a hot girl sitting on the on his desk. So okay, I'll make up a girl. And he had this idea for Harley Quinn, and he just threw it in. And he was like, well, what should she be like? And then he remembered Arlene doing uh, doing a jester on a soap opera in New York. And she did it with this pure exuberance and this thick, thick Brooklyn accent. And uh, Arlene had already written some Tiny Toons adventures. So she was already known by Warner Brothers and she'd already worked with Paul, even though they were friends. And he was like, hey, would you voice this? It's one episode. And I, I think... Paul, Paul Dini and Bruce Timm deserve a ton of the credit. Bruce Timm designed the look, which I think is classic and iconic, even though we don't use it anymore. Um, Paul Dini obviously created the character, and not only did she work on that episodes, but he found ways that she would work apart from Joker, you know, teaming her up with Poison Ivy, having adventures by herself, to the point where DC Comics had to use her in the comics, mm -hmm. and the, to the point where Margot Robbie has played her in, in three movies. Uh I, but it's all down to Arlene's personality. I think I don't think that character works without her. And it always bothered me in the last few years. And maybe we don't know the circumstances. Maybe she was ill. But in the video games, when like Tara Strong would do the voice, or on the animated series, Kaylee Coco would do the voice, or even Margot Robbie doing it in live action, it always irked me. I was like, Arlene Sorkin is Harley Quinn, and you know this in the in the in more of a way than Mark Hamill is the Joker. I was like, don't you did you don't give that role away because nobody did it exactly like her. So mad props. Yeah. So, um, so go to Max before you watch The Flash, watch Harlequinade or Harley and Ivy. Uh there and her performance is fantastic. She sings a song in Harlequinade that's been stuck in my head for the last 30 years, and I'm grateful for that. Uh but I, a huge loss. And of course, in the same year, we lost Kevin Conroy. I know we're all getting old, but man, you yeah. know, we. And Bob Barker just passed too. Bob Barker passed away too. But yeah, but Bar Barb Barker was, you know, he was, he was like Regis Philbin age. When he died, it was like, wow, that was a good life. Yeah. You know, with our. The, 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 the running joke is guy got, got as close to 100 without going over. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. Well, anyway, uh, Elliot, how can we find you? 
Well, you can find me on the socials at Elliot Serrano, two L's, two T's, and two R's. Of course, uh, you'll find me on the MCU Review as well as the Top Men in Indiana Jones podcast. And Shaken Not Heard. I just, I'm in the process right now of relaunching the Comic Culture Warrior YouTube page. I saw, I was like, holy crap, that, I've got a thousand plus subscribers on there that aren't uh, getting any attention. So we're uh, networking Comic Culture Warrior as well as MCU Review and Shaken Not Heard. Um, so nice. uh, we're becoming a little, we're becoming a little empire unto ourselves. Unto ourselves. Yep. Yeah. And you can find me at Not On My Book on Instagram, where I post pictures of toys and threads where I post nothing. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I'm letting next die. But the Facebook page is really where stuff happens. Facebook.com slash Caffeinated Comics. Uh, and that's where we repost tra- trailers and memes and n- news like Arlene Sorkin. That's probably the best place to find us. But either way, you can find us when you subscribe because we'll talk to you next week.